Alright, you're welcome to grab a seat. Grab a seat. Good to see you. We'll have an opportunity to hang out afterwards. Uh, happy Labor Day weekend. I see many people, uh, families have taken the opportunity to, to sneak in that last trip before school starts. Uh, for the rest of us, we're here, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Obviously, you see that we're having uh, some difficulties with the lights, and uh, some of you guys actually uh, uh, rather have it uh, bright in here, and, and so today is for you. Uh, and, and just to let you know, the reason why this isn't, a, I'm not going to make this a sermon, uh, the reason why we tend to have the lights dark here is because we, uh, for some reason, Bethany West Seattle has become this church uh, that people are willing to take a risk on, uh, especially from not going to church for a while, or maybe have never stepped into a church, or maybe have been burned by a church. And so uh, Bethany in West Seattle has been this church where they want to just come and just to just check out real quick and, and be anonymous. And, uh, and, and so we, we create that ethos for them. Uh, even though it may not be our preference, uh, we want to be a church that reaches out to those uh, that may not know or are far away or skeptical of, of Christ, of the people that claim to love Christ. And so that's why we do that. Um, obviously, as they get connected more and more to our community, we don't uh, have them stay there. We want them to be known and to be loved uh, and to love others. And so um, all that to say is it looks different today. Uh, okay, so uh, today's sermon is, is in between sermon series. So uh, next week we'll start this three-week series on our vision. We do this every, every fall. Uh, we just finished uh, some Old Testament studies. If you've been around, uh, we went through Ezekiel, we went through Jonah. Uh, and today, in light of Labor Day, uh, we're talking about what it means, especially as followers of Christ, uh, to be a person of vocation, of work. What does it mean to interact with our jobs even uh, as followers of Christ? And, and I would say this, when we reframe and reappropriate what it means to be a person of vocation, of calling, it doesn't matter what your job title is. It doesn't even matter if you have your typical nine to five type of job. You could be uh, an employee, you can be a boss, you can be a stay-at-home mother or father, you can be retired, uh, maybe you just, maybe you're a student, maybe you can't work for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. When we reappropriate what it means uh, to be a, a person of calling and of identity to do God's work in the world, it doesn't matter what your job title is, we can find joy in the work that is in front of us. And so with that said, uh, our, our verse today uh, comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus the, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he, God, had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, so made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Let me pray real quick and we'll get to work. God, thank you so much for the ways that you've called us to live, to be, for the gifts and the resources in our lives, for our work, whatever that might look like. God, may we... 
learn today of what it means to be followers of you and to work with all of our hearts as if we're working for you. God, we pray that you would grant safety to those that are traveling, sneaking in one last family trips. God, we pray for the heartache that we've experienced again in Texas with shootings and people being hurt. And God, would you just be peace and hope. God, for families uh, that are, again, in the south in Florida wrestling with uh, hurricanes and weather, God, would you bring them safety? And again, peace and hope. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so well, what I want to do and how, we, how I want to start is this. Uh, I know we had a chance to get to know each other, say hello, but real quickly, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're a kid in the room, uh, I want you to share with the person next to you uh, as a child, or maybe you are a child right now, uh, what you wanted to be when you grew up. So the question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? We, we've, we've been asked that since childhood. How would you answer that question? You got 90 seconds, go. As we wind down, we're a small group today. Uh, maybe you want to share yours, and maybe you want to share your neighbors. What are some of the things that you wanted to be when you grew up? A vet. Wonderful. Landscape architect. And Jonathan, what do you do? Okay. You wanted to play in the NFL. Oh, you still got time, right? Couple more. A professional marshmallow roaster. You still have time for that too. Like that's that's quite the aspiration. Last one. Yes. Another vet. Awesome. It's in Seattle. You would have a great job market for that. Uh, a lot of animals here. Uh, so great. Uh, when I was growing up, in, and, and maybe I was influenced by a movie that may have come out. I don't want to date myself too much. When I was like in third or fourth grade, but. Believe it or not, I wanted to be and aspire to be a bodyguard. And I've shared stories like this before, right? Like while all my other friends were like, I want to be a firefighter, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, apprentice, what do you want to be? I want to be a bodyguard. And I don't know really where that came from. Maybe it was the movie, for those of you that are old enough, with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. Okay, well, there's a movie called The Bodyguard, and it may have influenced my future aspirations. And I remember, uh, even when I was at home, I would, you know, just kind of pretend to have an earpiece. I would pretend I'd walk around, even at my own house, uh, protecting my family, and they had no idea what I was doing. I, I remember, uh, 
I w- in fourth grade, or maybe it was fifth grade, for Halloween, we would have to wear our costumes uh, to school, and I wore like a suit, and like a black tie, and I wore sunglasses, and, and all the kids, I remember, even my teacher was like, what are you, like, what are you for Halloween, and, and maybe you're a lawyer, maybe, you know, like all these like crazy, you know, jobs that require you to wear a suit, and I was like, no, I want to be a bodyguard. And for some reason, uh, beginning from childhood, and we talked about this even just now, from the beginning of childhood, we become obsessed over our work. You can call it vocation, you can call it calling, you can call it what I want to be when I grow up, uh, but for whatever reason, even from, a, uh, from being a child, from our adolescence, we become obsessed with our work with what we want to be when we grow up. And I would say this, all my years of being a pastor, which isn't a ton compared to especially many others, uh, but I have had the opportunity to work with students, uh, with college students, high school students, adults, everyone in between, uh, and over and under. And, And it seems like there is this universal longing, universal desire, call it universal condition, Uh, of being consumed with the idea of vocation. And and I would say we're all consumed with this idea of vocation. Again, whether you are employed or uh, whether you're working nine to five, whether you have a job, whether you don't have a job, it doesn't matter. If you are a human, ever since a child, we have been obsessed with vocation. Again, maybe you are a student and you're trying to, to navigate school and what to study and what, or what trade to go into or, or what job I need to get after I study and therefore picking the right major is, is so important. Or maybe you do work a typical 9-5 to job and, and I've heard this so many times where people have just felt so stuck. And you ask yourself, and I'll be honest, I've asked myself, what's next? What am I supposed to do? What am I here for? Is this all there is? Could there be more? Maybe you're retired and you're asking, how does my calling now, my vocation now intersect with this new season of life? How does my identity work now that I'm retired? I know my dad has had to wrestle with that question himself. And I would say that, from being a person who values work uh, and has worked all his life, it's, it's been difficult for him. Again, maybe you are a stay-at-home mother or father, and you've been told that that is not work. And for those of you that have had the honor and privilege to care for your children, know that it's the hardest work out there. Now, regardless of where you are in your vocation, we have this tendency, this burden to try to figure it all out. For better or worse, it becomes a part of our identity. Your work, your job title, what you do during the day, how you establish an income, whatever you identify as your work becomes our sense of worth in our identity And we wrestle with it, especially as followers of Jesus, because many times we're convinced that, you know, there's this mystery of God, that you are called to do one thing, and our lifelong mission is to figure out what that one thing is. And so you can understand the insecurity sometimes, like, God, is this the thing you want me to do? God, is this the job that you have called me to to work in? God, is this it? Because we've been convinced that there's one blueprint plan for us to go, and our mission, our job, is to figure out that puzzle, that mystery that is. 
But at the end of the day, whether you believe that or not, the point is this. The point is that there's something about our vocation that we are so intrinsically tied to. And how can it not be? Many of us, when we think about the classic nine to five type of work, we work eight, maybe 10 hours a day, maybe even more, 40 plus hours a week, five days out of seven, maybe even more. There was a local consulting firm in Seattle who, confer, uh, who uh, calculated some averages, and they concluded that the average person, wait for it, in America, <clears throat> will work about 113,000 hours in their lifetime, around 13 years' worth of work in our lives. So, so clearly, there's something about our identity that is so attached to what that work might be. I remember when uh, Maria and I, my now fiance, who for Labor Day weekend is in Chelan at a winery, so uh, that's what she's doing. Uh, we, I uh, drinking water and sodas, of course. Just kidding, she loves, right. anyway, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> Uh, when we first started dating, and I would even say before we started dating, we had a friend that uh, was planning to introduce us. But before she introduced us, she wanted to do some pre-work uh, into, into making it happen. Uh, and, and she would, or the, she goes to Maria and says, I want you to meet my friend, as name is Prentice. Uh, and, you know, kind of talks me up, probably a little embellishment if you ask me. Like, he's a great guy, uh, he's from Seattle, he likes to work out, you like to work out, you like the outdoors, you like the outdoors. Uh, he's a Christian, you're a Christian. Uh, his job, you know, he's a pastor, he went to SPU, he went to Fuller Seminary, blah, blah, blah. And, and of all the things that she described, the first response Maria had uh, of all of that, her response was, but I can't be a pastor's wife. Like, that was her response. I don't want to marry a pastor. And, and, and her friend said, well, wait a minute. Why don't you just meet him for the first time before, before we talk about marriage? And lo and behold, we're, we're getting married. Uh, but all that to say is there's something about uh, what she attached to my vocation, to who I was, that perhaps that's something that she didn't want to be a part of before she ever met me. And, and then I find out, uh, our friend, her name is Grace, said, well, I want you to meet Maria. Uh, she works at Starbucks. Great, I love coffee. This could work. Uh, she works at Starbucks <laughs> corporate. And now I'm like, okay, that's, that changes things. Okay, what, is she, what does she do? Something about supply chain and business. I don't know what that is. I still don't know what that is. I, and so immediately I'm like, okay, she's really businessy. She studied business. I, she probably talks about the stock market and uh, talks, uses all these businessy words. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, that's my like, assumption of anyone in corporate business. You like, love the stock market. I don't know why that is my connection. Uh, and so I remember going to dinner, and we, you know, we were hanging out, and I was using words, I kid you not, I told her this later, words and concepts I learned from Shark Tank, okay? If you've ever watched the Shark Tank, you know, Mr. Wonderful or other people, I'm using these terminologies that maybe Mark Cuban has used, uh, and she's like, wow, that's impressive. Like, how did you know those words? And I had to fess up. It's like, well, I'm a big fan of Shark Tank, uh, but all that to say is because, you know, she's living, she's working, there's living this corporate life, and I'm thinking, well, I'm this, and we're so different. 
And all that to say is we have all these preconceived notions about other people, about the person next to you, about myself, about yourself, based on our vocation because it is so huge and so intrinsically part of who we are and our identity. And the question is why? All that to say is why are we so attached, whether for ourselves and to others, so obsessed and consumed, even from a child, of what our occupation, of our job, our vocation, our calling is all about. And I would submit to you, it's because it's a part of our identity. It actually is a part of our identity. It is part of our design. It is the way we were created. We were created to work. Now, not only was this one of the first commands, as we read, from the very beginning of time, but it was also one of the very ways that God describes God's own self as a person who works. It says, after God created the universe, all of humanity, all of the animals, all the seas, all the waters, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, God uses the word my work is done. In creation, I am finished. My work is complete. Now, you have to remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, that is the ending of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, the people that wrote in the chapters and the verses, not, you know, not to be blasphemous, but they, they put the chapter in the wrong, in the wrong places. Uh, chapter 2 actually begins in verse 4. So, the beginning of chapter 2 actually wraps up what was happening in chapter 1, which is, if you guys grew up in the church or been around, about creation, about everything that was created. And God says in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, my work in creation is done. Now, the original word uh, in Hebrew is malaka. Malaka means work, duty, occupation. This is a word that God uses to describe what God did. God's basically saying, I worked, I malachied. Now, just between verse 1 and 3, he, God uses it several times. We have to remember that repetition is used for emphasis, not redundancy. There's something about God, uh, there's a message that God wants to convey, saying to all of humanity, I am a worker. I worked, I created work. It's used, at least in the NRSV, 167 times, all throughout just the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament. And every single time, all 167 times, the word malachi, the word that God uses to describe God's self in the action of, uh, of God's work, describes working in the fields, describes farming, describes tending sheep. Essentially, it's about an occupation. It's not this holy and divine thing, although it is. It's not some mysterious heavenly thing that God did, although it is. God is saying, I worked. It was work. Just like you work. Just like I work. It is work. God is saying, emphatically, I created work. And God is saying, I created for us to work. Now remember, work was established before the fall, meaning that's exactly what God had in mind the entire time of God's own creation. Now, to make better sense of verse 1 
through 3, we must connect it with a few verses later in verse 15, where it says this. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Now, just read man as all of humanity. Adam and Eve were a prototype of humanity. And so I don't deserve to trust me on that one for now. Uh, But what God is saying, I created all these things. I worked. I created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, the seas and the water. Now, human, Adam, Eve, I created you to do what? Put him in the garden of Eden to till it, to keep it. In other translations, to cultivate it. In other translations, to work in it. God created work by creating the universe, the garden, everything in it, and placed Adam and Eve to care for it, to cultivate it, to fill it. Essentially, the word is stewardship, to steward what God has brought to Adam and Eve and to humanity, to cultivate the very things that God has gifted them with, to care for the things that God has given them, to give care, to raise, to love, to serve the ways that God has given. And so let me just say this. If, if you want to hear anything at all today, what I want us to do is reappropriate what it means to be a person of vocation. Vocation is not about a job you go to. Please hear this. If you hear nothing else, your job, your vocation is not a job you go to. It's a gift or gifts that you steward. Vocation is not about a job you go to, but it's about gifts you steward. In other words, we must reappropriate Christ's intention and design for work. Because here's the deal, while our culture has us consumed, even as a little child, to make us think that it's about finding your perfect job, about making X amount of money, it's about having a particular title or status, God flips that upside down and says it's actually your vocation is about understanding and identifying the resources, the gifts, the people, the influence, the platform that God has given you. And your job, your work, is to figure out how to be the best steward you can be with the things that are given to you. That is your vocation. That is your job. Now, God has gifted us in different ways. has given us different resources, different passions, different influences, different, different people in our lives. Your vocation, a.k.a. your calling, which, by the way, is the same word in Latin, the word uh, vocare is where we get the word vocation. Vocare actually means in Latin calling. So it's easy that we would use the word vocation and calling inter- interchangeably. Your calling, your vocation is about how to steward, how we best steward, how we both cultivate, how we care for the gifts, the resources that God has given before us. And so and when we do that, this type of reimagining the definition of work is actually such good and liberating news. 
Again, now it doesn't matter what your job title is. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't even matter if you have this classic employment at all. The question becomes, are you stewarding the resources, the gifts, the platforms, the influences, and the people around you to the best of your ability? As God called Adam and Eve to steward the gifts that God has given them, are we doing the same? In Colossians chapter 3, 23, the New Testament makes this connection. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And whatever you do, and whatever your vocation is, now again, it doesn't matter what your title is, it doesn't matter all these things. Whatever you are doing as you are stewarding the resources and the people and the influence and all the things that God's given you, are you doing this well? And the way that you do this well, the New Testament, Colossians, Paul teaches us saying, do everything, do your vocation, do everything that's been given in front of you uh, and, and the things that have been given to you, do it as if you are working for the Lord, as if you're serving the Lord, if you're honoring the Lord and not anybody else. At your jobs, are you seeking excellence? Are you showing integrity? Are you being fair? Are you telling the truth? If you're at home, are you loving your children? Are you loving your neighborhood? Are you loving the people that are before you? If you're retired, are you loving those that are several steps before you? Can you mentor them? Can you love them? Can you walk alongside them? Because if you're doing anything at all as if you're doing it for the Lord, you are automatically, by definition, doing it for others. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. That's the parable of when Jesus says, you know, when you offer yourselves the least of these, you're actually doing it for me. There's a story where, you know, the people are like, Jesus, when did we see you poor? When did we feed you? When did we give you clothing? When did we give you shelter? We didn't do any of that stuff. And Jesus' reply is, whenever you do that for other people and serve people and love people, yeah, you're actually doing that for me as well. You're actually doing that for me as well. This idea of calling, the Greek word is kaleo, to be called. And all throughout the New Testament, it's not just an individual calling towards Christ, although it is, but it's also a calling to serve others. It's never individual, but always. Calling is always, always, always. Your vocation calling, whatever you want to call it, it's always, always, always communal. It always involves the other. It's never just about yourself. It's not about your own fulfillment. It's not your, about your own status and money. It's about how to love others. So, again, if you're a stay-at-home parent, are you loving, caring, teaching your children? If you have the gift and the honor to be with them most of your days and hours, are you being a good steward of the resources of the love of the children? Are you being a good steward of your children that God has given to you as gifts? If you are an artist and God has given you the, the ability to make art, make your art that will just bless people, 
that will tell the stories of beauty, that will tell the truth of injustice. Again, if you're not working for whatever reason, retired, in between jobs, or you're using your gifts that you do have to serve the people that God has placed in front of you, because no matter where you are in your vocation or work, God has put people in front of you to love and to serve. God has put people around you. You have been put in a neighborhood to give to, figuratively and literally. If you're in education, again, are you loving children? Are you teaching them with patience and humility and excellence so that they may have the resources to be the change in our next generation? If you're in sales, are you providing the best products for your people? Are you being honest? Are you offering what you are actually convinced of that will change their lives for the better and not just for your own selfish ambition and gains? If you're in the service industry, are you serving people? Well, when each person sits down, when each person pays, when each person comes at the counter, are you seeing the image of Christ in every single person that is before you? I mean, the list can go on. Are you an educator? Are you in healthcare? Are you a lawyer? Are you an engineer? Are you working in those fields as if you are working for the Lord? And, and, and I'll say this, if you are someone that is truly wrestling with vocation and what it means to be called, there's this book by Tim Keller, uh, it's called Every Good Endeavor, and it's such a good book. And I just want to read this quote uh, from uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor, a former pastor at a church in New York, author, uh, and uh, created this nonprofit called Faith and Work, uh, and he says this, Christians particular Christians, should be aware of this revolutionary understanding of the purpose of their work in the world, which is to serve. We are not to choose jobs and conduct our work to fulfill ourselves and accrue power for being called by God to do something is empowering enough. We are to seek work as a way of service to God and our neighbor. And so we should both choose and conduct our work in accordance with that purpose. And, and here's the important part he says, the, the question regarding our choice of work is no longer what will make me the most money and give me the most uh, status. The question must be, he says, the question must be how with my existing abilities, aka gifts, resources, people, platforms, and opportunities, can I be the greatest service to other people, knowing that I do, knowing that what I do of God's will and of human need. The more important question, he says, the question that must be asked is how, with my existing abilities and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people? How can you steward your gifts? Maybe it's crunching numbers, maybe it's counseling, maybe it's behind the scenes, maybe it's up front. How can you use those gifts to serve others in the name of the Lord? Later on, he calls it our vocation. Whatever it is, uh, God's mask in serving others. So if God wants to reach people, God wants to love people, God wants to have compassion, God uses you in your vocation, but your vocation is just a mask to serve others. That's what Tim Keller says, and I love that idea. Because then it doesn't matter, again, what your title is, how much money you bring. The question in your vocation 
is are you going to use your gifts, your resources, to the best of your abilities? Are you going to steward them? And that stewardship will always, always include loving others and serving others. Vocation isn't the place you show up. It's how you show up. It's how you show up. And so I leave you with a few practices as we do each week and something to ponder, practical and tangible ways to consider uh, your vocation, your calling. And, And number one is this. What and who are the gifts entrusted to you? And sometimes we have to take an inventory not to be prideful or egotistical, but it's saying, okay, God, here are the ways you have gifted me. Here are the people you have brought me. Here are the passions you've given me. And what is one way, just one way you can use one of your gifts and to steward that for other people, to serve, to extend that gift as God's mask of love, help, and compassion. And maybe if you are a reader or maybe you're a listener, I would encourage you to to read or listen to Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. Again, this is a really helpful resource. If vocation is something, faith, work is something you are trying to navigate, especially at this time. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and I just want us to even think about these questions as we enter into a time of song, Reflection, prayer, meditation, this time is yours. Have of it the way God needs you to be. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the ways that you have blessed us and given to us. And again, may we redefine what work is all about. It's not just this nine to five place or job that we go to, but it's a calling and a calling we must be good stewards of. So thank you for your gifts. We thank you, thank you, thank you. May we serve and love other people with them. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.